Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the overlap. I think it's been exactly seven days. Yeah, it's been exactly seven days since we last recorded. So I asked Rian right after we recorded last weekend, I was like, do you want to record in the middle of the week about something? And his answer was, no, there's not that much to talk about. So blame Rian if we did not get more content out. I solely blame Rian. But now it's fine. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not mad. <laughs> I don't think that was, I don't think that conversation happened. No, 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 no. no. They, don't have to they don't have to know that I fully made that up in the back of my head. <laughs> No one knows that. Well, what's <laughs> up, people? It's we're recording on a Sunday after Rihanna and I were just talking about. Well, okay, I was complaining about the fact that there are too many cup competitions in England. Um, like you have the League Cup, you have the FA Cup, you have the Carabao Cup. Am I missing any other cup domestic competitions? No, I think I think that's pretty much it. I think oh, the Alley Cup is usually is, is usually in the <laughs> summer. The but <laughs> who could ever forget the esteemed Spurs win two two years ago of the Alley Cup, which is just a riot. But too many domestic cup competitions. That's what took place in England this weekend, and then in Spain, of course, we had a whole host of narratives that we're going to go over. But Rian, I I think I slept more time more time this weekend than i have in the last like several weekends it felt so good so i'm like i'm like still kind of groggy but how's your weekend it's going well man um this weekend or these last like four or five days really it felt like we're fully in winter now especially after the snowstorm on what was it thursday night thursday night friday morning Yeah. yeah As as you know, my history with the weather, I was up at 530 um, for no apparent reason, by the way. There's no good reason for me to wake up that early. I just woke up that <laughs> early to like look outside. I could yeah. barely see like across the street. And I was like, ah, this is this feels right. <laughs> this feels like yeah. childhood. The full um, what's it called? Blizzard, pretty <laughs> not, not fully a blizzard, but like the the biggest dumpings of the snow yeah. was probably around that time right yeah, when, yeah. All, when most of us were asleep it was so nice i woke up the next morning grabbed like a coffee from the coffee shop um around the corner or hot chocolate i would never drink coffee but came back it was like a nice little uh picturesque scene and uh you might get more snow the rest of the, the next couple of weeks so that's my that's my non-soccer related tidbit for the week <laughs> it, it took us a f- probably a couple months later than we expected but yeah, yeah, these are we're we're really in winter temperature now. Like it was it's like cold now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The last couple of days of last week of this past week were very much what a December or sorry, beginning of January and on the east coast yeah. or northeast should um feel like or normally feels like. But yeah, uh the clinical term is actually uh brick. That that yes. is what we that was what we use. Yeah. So that's where we're at. Um, but of course, there was still some soccer or football to watch. Um, it's not like we were all devoid of joy because that would just be brutal. <laughs> <laughs> but, Rian, how much La Liga did you get a chance to watch this week? Because there was more Spanish football on than, than Premier League or anything. I, honestly, just English football in general. Technically, there was a lot of English football, if you include like <laughs> yeah. many games of FA Cup, uh, many FA Cup games. But you're right; there was far more to watch in the league um, from Spain. And yeah, this was—I was saying to Ellie that this was somewhat of a refreshing weekend with no Premier League. 
games, but obviously there were the more fun cup games and then getting to watch La Liga more this weekend was was the refreshing part of it. And uh, that it was. And yeah, it feels like we're about to enter a very, very hectic um, stretch of the season, especially when it comes to the top four race in in Spain. I think you'd agree, right, Ellis? Yeah. Um, I'm, of course, my club's not a part of that conversation right now, but <laughs> oh, that's that's just that's he's he's, he's reverse jinx, jinxing really hard there because Barcelona are within a few points, like within three points, two points two, two of points. um yes. <laughs> of third place. So yeah, I think I think they've got a chance though. Well, it's convenient because we could have had two more points and actually been in third but that's none of my business so (laughs) neither here nor there it's funny because after this weekend really i think almost all of the top six sides outside of real madrid and sevilla drew um i guess real sociedad did win but atletico barcelona rio villarreal all not only drew oh real batiste as well not only drew they all like drew each other <laughs> so <laughs> it was it was a very fun weekend to say the least rian and why don't we kind of kick things off with really the, the game of the weekend probably like that's, yeah. that's what i'm going to call it um atletico versus villarreal at villarreal a game that saw some of my favorite unai emery gifs created Oh yeah, he was he was on another level today. <laughs> yeah, it reminded it reminded me a little bit of the six one in Barcelona when he was coaching or managing PSG. Um, when the sixth goal went in, there like this isn't a similar face he had, but just like the the emotions and the reactions that he had during that game were just like <laughs> deflation and just like such obvious like gesturing and yeah. gesticulation. It was ah. Uh, that one was more depressing. That was that was like watching someone die inside. <laughs> yeah. It's just someone who knows they literally just lost their job in front of you. hundred percent. Yeah. This this one was a, this one was a, a bit different because I think there'll be I think he was probably more frustration in this uh, result for Emery and, and Villarreal. Right? They really for about an hour of that game for sixty minutes or so they were on top of Atleti. And oh, yeah. really controlled a lot of the game and could find themselves a bit unlucky to not score more. Uh, but I thought they were really impressive, Elias. And and I think that the last 30 or so minutes for Atletico Madrid was much better once once some changes were made. Um any, any uh, particular, yeah, okay. <laughs> a certain person, yeah, yeah, a certain person entered the pitch and things started to look a bit better. But I mean, look, let's start with where do these two teams um, now project for the rest of the season? I, and their Villarreal have been kind of coming on very, very strong the last few weeks here since. Um, basically since Gerard Moreno came back, but you know, they haven't lost yeah. in their last five games. And I, I have to ask Elias, <laughs> do you now put their odds of making the top four 
at the same level as Atletico Madrid? Do you, do you think one is a bit, I, I mean, we obviously know one's a bit more talented. One has yeah. more talent, but yeah. um, in terms of how they're playing right now, though, um, who do you see as more likely to jump into the top four? In terms of form, this is a really interesting thing. I mean, we've talked about this a little bit last week, right? Like Simeone has not figured out his strongest 11 yet, even though they arguably have the best squad in terms of talent. Now, I think that what that means for Villa, or excuse me, for Atletico is that, yes, they're coming off a string of games, four La Liga games in a row that they lost, of course, winning last weekend and now drawing against Villarreal there's still a lot of up and down and Atletico have not been able to nail down their starting 11. Simeone has not been able to do that. And I think that was the best example of that was bringing on Koke for Cunha. And as you mentioned, João Felix for Rodrigo de Paul. And those changes were certainly positive. I mean, very, very directly related to, um, their performance on the field the last 30 minutes and also the fact that they equalized about five minutes after those substitutions came in. But the question still remains for me is if you are getting the best out of players like Jao Felix and Simeone, I think does have some sort of problem with him as maybe a, a person rather than a player, but why are they not the ones leading the line, right? Why are they not starting consistently? Of course, Koke is your captain, but genuinely i can't understand why they have not been able to nail that down as for villarreal they're they're in the complete opposite form right four prior games to this match of course this past weekend all wins all very directly related to gerard moreno coming back there's no doubt about that i mean he has scored in almost uh, like we talked about previously every game that he has um come back into of course he didn't score today but did have an assist Alberto Moreno. And so Villarreal, to me, to answer your question, look like more of a team. And they look like more of a team with a very true identity. And one of the things I really liked about um, this game in particular that they did, this happened somewhere back towards, I want to say it was midway through the first half, where I forget if it was Foyth or... Capu, I think it, I think it was Capu. He was basically pinned back by the corner flag, right by Rui, like very far back in Villarreal's, Villarreal's half. He plays a crossed ball, like all the way across to the left-hand side. It lands perfectly for Alberto Moreno. And all Atletico are doing are trying to press one man with the ball, Alberto Moreno. That left basically Danny Parejo, Gerard Moreno, and Trigueros completely free like running in behind the atletico midfield and you could clearly see what villarreal were trying to do they were trying to exploit the wide spaces in this atletico team and they did it so so well time and time again they dominated this game for an hour like you said um so to answer your question i'm more bullish on villarreal that's a short answer although they're four points off of fourth they're four points behind atletico in particular could have won today maybe should have they still have a very, very good team. And in some ways, I think them being out of the Copa del Rey now, losing to Sporting Gijón at midweek, might actually be a positive thing for them in La Liga. And and it's kind of a theme of, I feel like, a lot of our discussions this year with when it comes to 
extremely talented teams who are just kind of disappointing um, from a league play level. Obviously, we've spoken about it with Manchester United, but we've also talked a lot about Atletico Madrid. And I think the best way to sum it up uh, when you talk about a team that in Villarreal that looks more well-oiled and cohesive as a unit compared to Atletico Madrid at times. I mean, look at the first goals from each team, right? <laughs> For the first goal from Villarreal, um, team-oriented, uh, and, and something that that comes from that comes from knowing, like you said, your identity, right? Whereas Atleti, the first goal comes from this unbelievable strike from um from Correa who I can't believe I mean, I we have to talk that. about we have to talk about that goal for a <laughs> oh, second we are going to <laughs> Angel Correa basically duh, says David Beckham I'll do you one better from from of, of course the Argentine halfway version. point yeah of course of course from half from literally the center circle he picks off I think it's Danny Parejo um and hits it one touch one touch to get the interception and then the next touch looks up um sees that yano that uh sorry rui is off his line and pings it with just the slightest draw on it too and it slips it just below the crossbar the goal and i love it because it didn't hit the ground first it hit the net it hit the back of the net yeah it hit the back like it was hit so pure it was it was it was like beautiful to see um live but yeah like i said you contrast that with with um the way that Villarreal was able to work chances and felt rightly unlucky to be down a goal in those first 30 minutes of it but they were able to get the goals that they really deserved. And um, I thought it was really impressive again from them. Again, this is five straight games of playing very well and playing like a team that is good enough to finish in the top four. Whereas it's hard to say that for any of the other teams um, fighting for top four right now, outside of um, outside of Real Madrid and, and uh, Sevilla, obviously. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I really thought once that Correa goal went in, Atletico might actually be able to kind of put their foot down in that game. But that seemed to be a fluke. And shockingly, I'm like disappointed that that's not more of a storyline because more of the storyline that came out of today was how Villarreal performed. But that goal was shockingly good. Um, I think it was just the speed and the precision of it that Rui could just not predict. So shout out and hell Korea for sure um around if you had to pick before we move on atletico villarreal very shortly who's your pick for top four if if i only had to pick one of the two um i, I i'm still holding out hope for for atletico to finish to <laughs> figure it out um it's it, it look it, it's it's not difficult for to find some formula that Will work and and they're still right in the middle of this race. So I don't even think they necessarily have to reach the heights that they did last season. They don't have to reach the heights they did right. last season to make the top four. I don't think they even. I don't think they'll necessarily uh, need to be 
extremely close to that level, but like they just they have the talent. The talent is obviously there. Um, they just need to find ways to control games better, which is the real difficulty. Um, I would love to say both, like if, like outside of that. Um, I think there's a good chance that both of these teams. That's not that's not it. improbable. It, so. it really is not. Um, and, and in general, the top four race is very very close, and I think it's much closer than people realize, especially now. And we will partially get into this. Sevilla have a game in hand on Real Madrid, and they are currently five points off Real Madrid. That's that's very important. Just just putting that into context. So, yeah. There, anyway, some interesting symmetry there that we'll get. We'll get on to and get yeah, yeah. But um, but at least sticking with this kind of really tight race for the top <laughs> four, another team that is still mathematically in there with a chance is Barcelona. Who <laughs> mathematically, uh, that's where we're going with this. Yeah, Love it. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> um, who this weekend have really committed to the 2011 bit where they started Danny Alves, Gerard <laughs> Piquet, Jordi Alba, and Sergio Busquets all in the same game together since, I mean, at least Run it if, back. You had to guess, if you had to guess, when was the last time that those four guys started together? Oh, 2015, I guess would have to be that answer, right? I I, I don't know for sure myself, but I, 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 I think guess. it is. I think it is. Um, I think that's probably when Xavi was last on the field with them too. So <laughs> I mean, yeah, wow, yeah, I didn't even think about that part of it. So yeah. you know, um, <laughs> we're <laughs> the game aside. I mean, obviously, Gavi gets sent off, and um, after that, where Barcelona were actually like in a really good position in that game after De Jong um, scored. After, I'm still unsure why his first goal was chalked off. Um, if I'm it it being was honest, but... it was because Gavi in the build up play was in a like he was offside by I think maybe six to eight inches somewhere like somewhere like that you just cannot really tell the difference. I I, I first I legitimately saw it and couldn't tell the difference, but I think that was the reason it was it was largely because of the build up play. Yeah, and then they finally get their goal. And like I said, in control, and then got, got just, a, just, a, just, just a moment of, of youth and, and not being, you know, turned on mentally. He, he picks up his second yellow. And then after that, I think what is also disappointing is just how easily everything, things kind of crumbled Yeah, in terms of control of the game. Um once Gavi got sent off and you can't say that Granada didn't from the pressure they were putting on after, after. No, they had their chances. Like, yeah, I I think they deserved the goal just from the pressure that they put on after um, getting the man advantage, but uh, really disappointing for, for Barca in general to not have been able to put that game away or, or just, like I said, keep 11 players on the pitch just to maintain control. Um, So that's what's going on on the field. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh yes i forgot of course there's I mean, an there's, off the field part yeah of i mean this. i mean one last thing you know, they're still one point off of fourth place right now two points off of third so it some things can change <laughs> if only they can get a certain player or players on the field 
and I'm speaking about Ferran Torres, not Soriano, <laughs> um, <laughs> who signed for Barcelona officially, but is not allowed to be registered <laughs> for La Liga yet, could play in the Supercopa. Elias, starting with the Ferran, the, the issues with, with um, getting Ferran Torres registered, can, can you explain the difficulties that Barcelona are going to have signing and registering players for, <laughs> let's just say at least this next month, potentially the next seven months. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is, this will last into the summer for sure. But the, the general gist of it is La Liga within their accordance with financial fair play says that of course you cannot register um, players that have a higher gross income or, or total gross income than the players that are currently in the squad, right? You can't just go over your allotted, you know, annual re- revenue or, or excuse me, income limit um, for, for wages. So part of bringing Ferran Torres in hinged on basically one of two, and maybe in this case, we're kind of realizing both of these situations, the renewal of Usman Dembele and Philippe Coutinho slash Umtiti leaving Barcelona in some capacity. Now, one of those two things have, has already happened, right? Coutinho is now on his way to Aston Villa on loan for the rest of the um, the rest of the season. Aston Villa aren't even paying all of his wages. That's an important part of this. They're only paying about 65% of his wages, something like that. So Barcelona are on the hook for about 40, 35 to 40% of his existing wages as they are for a player that is not going to be playing for them. So that frees up some space in kind of the, the salary, salary uh, area. But of course, it's not enough because Barcelona are well over that, right? Even after Messi left over the summer, they were still writing at about 90% of their income was going to wages, which is well above the average, which is somewhere closer to 70%. And note, they haven't really gotten rid of many players since then, or at least notable players that have big wages. Fast forward to January, Usman Dembele and renewal conversations around his contract have not improved. Um, They have in fact stalled. So he has not renewed his contract in order to break up the structure of those payments. So in accounting terms, Barcelona can recognize them later, essentially pushing the problem down the road. And Coutinho has left, but he fully well might come back in the summer because it's only a loan for six months. So Barcelona are in this position where they're kicking the can down the road in order to kind of continually push the problem to the future in a world where they might have more revenue, right? Be able to pay off some of their debt. Time goes on. But they have to deal with the now, and they have just not been able to do that. So Ferran Torres is currently at the mercy of Mathieu Aleman, Alemany, I think that's how you say his name. And uh, our famed, I'll call him our famed chubby man, Juan Laporta. Barcelona are fully treating their finances like I did for three of, actually all four years of college, where everything <laughs> that came in, was just trying to pay back people from the last <laughs> four to five months while simultaneously <laughs> pushing other payments down the road. Um, I mean, the Ferran Torres thing is hilarious too because for anyone that plays football manager, it's like when you sign a player, you have all the sign-on fees, the agent fees plus the transfer fee, and it also come out of your transfer budget 
and then you figure out the details and notification comes up uh the club actually can't pay for this we need should we delay this or cancel this transfer and barcelona are just hitting delay delay a week every single time right now so this is just a hilarious position for i mean it's all been hilarious for me not elias and for most of us um no there's literally no part of this that's been no yeah (laughs) it's it's just been the funny part of the last year year to two years for Barcelona from a financial point of view um (laughs) it's 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 someone someone is working long long nights in their financial um side of the, the club someone's working very very long nights for things that are probably going to fall through or just cause even more stress honestly so bless that bless that human being I texted you this after the Granada game, but I just want the pain to stop at this point. I don't necessarily care about anything else. Just let let the pain stop. I don't need to be the butt of all these jokes anymore. Just are we done with Barcelona? Can we move on? Yeah, that... we could move on. We could oh, move bless your heart. Jeez. Something a bit more, a bit more positive. Uh, well, not for positive you, from Barcelona perspective, but something different at least. Oh, well, I, I guess it depends on, on how you see this. So speaking about Sevilla here, who have not lost in six games, obviously Real Madrid's loss to Hitafe means that Sevilla are now on the longest and or on a longer unbeaten run than um, Real Madrid right now. And that's kind of like the symmetry that I was talking about earlier, where a week ago, Real Madrid lose to Hitafe one nil and you know, get scored on early and then are not really able to take their chances later on in the game. Whereas this weekend, pretty similar thing on the other (laughs) side happens for Sevilla who get their goal early and aren't really able to capitalize on getting a second goal, but um, Hitafe are, are never able to really get back into the game and um, Sevilla controlled the game very well uh, and even though their biggest issue is scoring goals right now um, they you know, a lot like many other big clubs or other um, top clubs in Europe they're controlling games by just keeping possession and not allowing themselves to be exposed without the ball so it's it's as usual great coaching from Julian Lopetegui but um Elias I ask you like specifically what do you think has been the other factors of their success so far and and do you think that there's enough there for them to keep pushing Real Madrid uh, for the title I know we've talked about Real Madrid not necessarily being hands and shoulders above everyone else in the league so it's gotta there's gotta be a chance there i think for Sevilla to keep pushing them there's there's definitely a chance right that without it goes without a doubt there's definitely a chance that they could push real madrid to the end i think i'll say two things right the difference between Sevilla and real madrid right now is that real madrid's attacking force and vinicius and benzema very much outperforming what the expectations were. Whereas I think Sevilla have much more of a team structure around 
Ocampos and the rest of that front line, but they're not as clinical, right? They have very, very good opportunities to score. It's just, there's a, there's a gap in quality and there's a gap in talent there. And I do think that Sevilla have what it takes in terms of what this team has done already so far. And the fact that I think their biggest strength right now is actually their consistency in their starting 11, like almost the complete opposite of Atletico. <clears throat> Julian Lopetegui has actually done a really good job of keeping everything the same and being very consistent with it. And I think that's probably the most important part of, of what has made Sevilla um, kind of stay in the top four and really challenge Real Madrid. Now, the other part of this that I think we've talked about, but maybe not in the context of other teams or other leagues, Julian Lopetegui, probably one of the coaches of the season last season. And probably after this season, although he's, he has done very well with Sevilla, I think overall in his tenure, I think that you could be looking at a Sevilla team or excuse me, a coach in Julian Lopetegui that moves to the Premier League next summer. I think that this could potentially be his last season in Sevilla. And I think there's, there's like a psychological element of that for the players. If you know that your coach could potentially leave, get a big offer from the Premier League, something that he probably wouldn't turn down. That I think could also kind of lead some, some credence to this, right? You're, you're kind of going all out at this point, because at this point, this Sevilla team is not going to be the same next season too, because they're, they're also going to be players <coughs> Kunde, that are going to get offers from other teams uh, come the summer. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that you bring that that up with uh, Lopetegui. I as soon as you said that, you said um, Premier League. I, my first thought was, well, if if Everton were smart, you know, they would. If, they would. That's can, a really good would, shout. I mean, they're they're kind of giving Rafa Benitez a lot of power right now in terms of being able to send out a guy as good as Didier. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, probably unlikely from that case, but yeah, I, I, we kind of got robbed of his of Lopetegui's chances for, at that type of level. Like, even if you're talking about the Spanish national team, like Luis Enrique is a fantastic coach, but I can't say that if Julian Lopetegui was the coach of Spain right now, I can't say that I think they would be doing any worse. Really, I, I severe think he would Spain. be able to, um, Spain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, I think he'd be able to bring out a lot of this, a lot of the same results, at least. I think, and I think he'd have similar success. So, that's really a testament to how good of a coach he is himself. Yeah, Um, yeah. But we'll we'll see what happens with him in the summer. But another thing that you touched on there with the difference in the attacking quality between Real Madrid and Sevilla, like that's it. That's that's what we saw this this past weekend. Yeah, the. The the we've talked about the levels that Vinicius has gone to, but the partnership between him and Karen Benzema, not just their partnership, but that pure output that they're producing, like individually, even when the other isn't on the field, it's it's like they're they're the best duo in the league right now. Obviously, oh but, yeah, um, by far. But uh, that's that's the thing that that has to be that that Sevilla have to overcome. Like the fact that Benzema has been able to 
really not hinder the progress of a guy like Vinicius <laughs> as, um, as opposed to some other top players in Real Madrid's Wow. Wow. Um, <laughs> very, very interesting low blow. I mean, I, I, I fully agree with you, to be fair. And I think one of the things that I loved about Real Madrid's game against Valencia over the weekend, of course, 4-1 win, was their second goal, Vinicius's first goal. It was kind of the pass from Benzema that found its way to Vinicius, and then Vinicius quite literally rounded two Valencia defenders to, to slot it home, then pass Sillison. And that, to me, screams confidence. It's, it just exudes so much confidence from him. And that, I think, is a very underrated part of this, um, a part of being a top, top world-class player, too, that, um, again, shows you the difference between Benzema, Vinicius, and quite literally the rest of Sevilla's front line. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think really quickly before we move on to the next point, Elise, do you, what is the situation with En Nasiri right now? I, I don't think he's joined up with Morocco, right? Or, or... No. So, so he has not, to my knowledge. Um, I don't, I don't know exactly if he's staying with Sevilla um, for the duration of AFCON, but I think that this is kind of very uh, a similar situation to Abde in Barcelona, who could have gone with Morocco, but chose to stay with Barcelona during AFCON because I think he wants Spanish there to play for the Spanish national team. I think and the series situation is very different because he's already played. Um, but I really don't know. It's kind of bizarre, and I think if it is purely just forgetting about him or um putting him on the sidelines quote unquote it's probably injury related in some capacity because he has been very very in and out of Sevilla's yeah, team I mean, he, he hasn't missed a lot of this season I think a huge huge miss to Sevilla especially with how oh yeah he was last season so that so you know they get him back at some point in this next this next month or so changes the whole complexion of their attacks so. 1000 percent something to think about yeah no good point good point but lastly Rian on the Premier League side of things or excuse me on the La Liga side of things before we move over to the Premier League I want to talk just briefly about a team that we have not seen win a game in god knows how long I can actually tell you how long it's been April of 2021 the last time that we saw Levante win in La Liga 27 games without a win somehow making it to this point where there's still there's like still a chance that they can make it out of the relegation zone and they could make it out or and they made it out of the relegation zone last season so i just i just need to take a second and acknowledge the fact that this team has life like it's not like it's not like this team has played extremely poorly. They've just been shockingly unlucky. And I don't, I honestly don't know if there's some sort of correlation between like Newcastle and, and Levante, but they have been very unlucky. And to get their first win this weekend, no one could have guessed it. I mean, you could have, you could have bet on it. It would have been a very, very risky bet. Um, but to beat Mallorca is fantastic for them. 
Yeah, you're you're talking about a team that as you said sit twentieth, right? Um, out of twenty, let's be clear. Out of twenty, <laughs> yes, yes, out of twenty, um, and yet their expected goal difference they're still lower half of the table, but but expected goal difference per game puts them at fifteenth. So so not not a team that is necessarily playing at relegation level. No. So. If we're going purely off of that, then it would tell you that perhaps as the rest of the season goes on, they'll pick up points and, and at least find themselves in a better position to be able to make it out of relegation. Maybe, maybe. again, <laughs> um, but but yeah, they they the numbers obviously say they've been a bit unlucky as, as much as they have been, you know, also probably not good enough to be outside of relegation zone right now. No, oh, of course, of course, and. Uh... Jose Morales must be happy as probably their, their best player um, must be happy with things as well as basically this whole squad, because I can't imagine again, the psychological element of losing or not winning essentially in 27 games is astoundingly poor. And they lost a lot of players, I believe over the summer as well. So it is a completely new team, but I had to acknowledge that Rion. I had to, it's just, what is we, we, like what is statistic like a team that has not won in 27 games, which is essentially three quarters of a season, and still <laughs> playing in top flight football is not something to be taken lightly. Uh gotta gotta give your flowers when you can. To- I know, I know. But anyway, with that, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back, we'll talk about England, what's going on in confirming it's the League Cup, Brian, not the FA or Carabao Cup. Thank thank you for that. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about the North London Derby coming up. All right, we're back wrapping things up. We're going to talk a little bit about the Prem, like I said. And uh, Rian, I told you I'm sick of the league competitions, mainly because of their names, but... Why don't we talk a little bit about the League Cup semifinal against Spurs and Chelsea? I don't know if Spurs really showed up in this game. Um, Chelsea seemed relatively dominant. That was kind of my overall impression. They they kind of felt like the team that they were towards the end of last season. What were your thoughts on this game? What were your thoughts on Chelsea? And then more importantly, I want to get your thoughts on Spurs because I feel like we've been talking about them in such a positive run of form. And then, of course, we're talking about a Chelsea team that started Saul uh, or the ghost of him. So this is this was somewhat of a significant performance. Um, yeah, no, it was it was a dominating performance for for Chelsea. Obviously, this was the only semi-final game that happened this past week because Liverpool uh, have had to have their first leg of the semi-final against Arsenal postponed as well as their FA Cup match postponed as they have about five players um, who tested positive for COVID and then including some staff members which includes uh, Jurgen Klopp wasn't able to be on the bench for their game against Chelsea and then their assistant manager also tested positive um, right before the scheduled game with Arsenal. So it, it, there was also apparently a few other staff members. So the funny things like, you know, how far down the line 
who's who becomes the coach um in the next game potentially that that's to be a funny one people were joking that like maybe maybe like the kitchen staff someone there could sit on the bench for for that game um but but going back to Chelsea and uh and and Tottenham you're right I, I think just Spurs came out really flat in that game which was very disappointing from a it's from a neutral point of view because they the it was really easy for Chelsea to, in the first half. Granted, a, a couple lucky bounces for their two goals, but it was it could have been so much worse. Which is giving some some hope for the second leg for for Tottenham and that they can they can get back into the game. It's only a two goal deficit, and they will be at home at White Hart Lane. Um, but it was really disappointing from from their point of view. I mean, obviously, this was the first game also that Ramu Lukaku came back into the side for Chelsea after his uh, interesting choice of an interview back in December where, you know, the quotes come out three weeks later. And obviously he's talking about um, missing being an inter, you know, pretty much the interview is like a don't be pissed at me <laughs> thing to uh, inter fans. And they did not take it. It didn't even help with that. Um and obviously spoke a bit about the formations and what and what Thomas Tuchel has been doing at Chelsea, and that got him pushed out. I, I don't know, Elias, what did you what did you make of all of that situation? I actually I had very similar thoughts. Right, I think one of the the storylines that we have to mention right is Lukaku coming back into the side after, of course, the whole interview shenanigans, whatever you want to call it. Um, and kind of showing up, like you mentioned, like he, I feel like there was, there's an element of focus really. Like he had somebody to prove on the field and that was really, really positive to see more importantly. I, I was just really, really underwhelmed by Spurs and I can't, I honestly cannot tell if it was just a product of them playing a much better and talented side or there was like mental fatigue from the prior game over the past weekend. And that maybe led to it. Spurs, I don't believe even had an extra day of rest. I don't think it was anything like that. Or maybe they did. I honestly cannot remember, but there, it took them a while to get into the game. And that right there, I think is actually the difference between your top two and your top three. And then you're fighting for four, right? Those buckets of teams that we talked about so often, not to say that, Spurs are not a wonderful team this season and I think slowly getting better but if you can name a time this season where Spurs have scored in the first 15 minutes of a Premier League game I will pay you a dollar because I don't think that that has that has happened yet I can't think of one off the top of my head for sure yeah, because if you did I'd that, be that was... wildly impressed anyway so <laughs> yeah um but no you're right I think I think the first half of that game against Chelsea they just didn't really press at all and you throw that on top of you know Chelsea looked really energized and ready to go after that game it'll be interesting to look back on at the end of the season but it feels like the Lukaku situation happened then Chelsea came out really really up and at it in that Liverpool game and they played with a lot of heart and and played really well like well enough to get at at least a draw, like maybe even a win in that game, but it, it carried straight over into this into the first leg um, of the the League Cup 
semifinal and they were just ready to go at the at as soon as the game started and press Tottenham really well and like Ellie said the the ghost of Saul I'm moving him he, he's moving from a ghost to like he's like the cadaver is there now the body I can see the body there he is he is getting better with every appearance and it, it's sad that it's taken this long but better now than than like the last two weeks of the season I suppose so um I, I think for for Chelsea that was really really encouraging um team looks like it has a bit of confidence back after that Liverpool game and we'll see how that carries over into their game this weekend against Manchester City um which which uh, we'll have a lot to talk about next week uh, when that when that occurs but from the Tottenham side to stay in that area of England Elias we've got the North London Derby this weekend and probably one of the first times where both teams go into it with a lot of a lot of hope and a lot of encouragement yeah. and in both fans probably feeling better about their team than they have in at least a year probably minimum minimum a year yeah i i i really don't know what to make of this matchup other than i think both teams have more to win than lose and that sounds like a cliche kind of stupid bullshit kind of thing to say but what i actually mean is that a loss or a draw from either of these two sides is not going to be as impactful as a win and i or saying that a win would be like much more impactful of course because we've seen arsenal go on a string of five now matches right unbeaten in in the Premier League um, with a small exception of course but Spurs on the other hand have been in basically the same boat I'm trying to think if Spurs have actually lost the game in their last five and I don't believe that they have so it wouldn't necessarily be unheard of for either of these teams to drop points now of course there's a big pressure of the North London Derby and that's a big part of this but I don't think either of these teams are favored. And I think that they have a lot more to win than they had to lose. And I think that's probably a massive, massive motivator um, or motivating factor for, for both sides from a, I can, I'll say this from a tactical perspective, I'm very much favoring Arsenal largely because of Odegaard. And I think that if Odegaard has a wonderful game, basically outplaying, which I expect him to do any combination of, Harry Winks and friends, then Arsenal are in a really good position because I, I said this last week. I said it the week before. I've been impressed by what Lacazette has been able to do up front in the absence of a bummy egg. I've also been very impressed with, um, uh, of course, the, the wide play of Mikayo Saka and Martinelli. But more importantly, they look cohesive as a team, right? And that all runs through Odegaard. So if he's on his, on his game, which he largely has been in the last month and a half. I I might barely favor Arsenal um, just because I think Spurs midfield is still leaves much to be desired. Let's say that. Yeah, it, it was it was a it was a huge weakness in that um, in that game against Chelsea. I just just how off off the pace they seemed. Really, I mean, Chelsea played at a 
at a very high tempo to, to be fair to them but um just even on the athletic side it, it looked like something was just missing um but Elias yeah you're right still unbeaten under Antonio Conte in the league um and from an Arsenal point of view I, I think you brought up a great point with with Odegaard and really like Odegaard and Martinelli is a or two ones to bring out because Martinelli has been fantastic since he's come back into yeah. the lineup, right? So he came back into the lineup on December 2nd in that Manchester that game against Manchester United, where you know Arsenal probably kind of shot themselves in the foot not being able to at least getting a, a draw in that game. Yeah. But um but specifically Martinelli and uh Odegaard looked great in that game that Martinelli with an assist and Odegaard with a goal in that game. But since then, about seven games straight that Martinelli has started. And he has scored three goals in that time, two assists. Um, he's averaging about 0.2 XG. So not, not amazing, but you're talking about from a wide area where they were not getting much there it's sometimes not just about the xg right like that's not i don't think that's his greatest output or his greatest asset Mm -hmm. i think it's largely again his ability to run at players one-on-one and given let's call it emerson's so-so performance like throughout the season uh, i think there's still a lot of areas that he needs to improve upon i very much have i very much think that martinelli could run either side of Spurs fullbacks kind of ragged. Wait, who's Emerson? Um are we talking about Spurs? We're talking about Spurs Emerson. Oh, not- oh Emerson Royale. Got Royale. it. Got it, got it got yeah, it, got yeah. It. Not got not it. Chelsea related. Oh. Yeah, I was I was a bit yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. He was similarly terrible in that game against Chelsea. Yeah. 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 That's kind of my point. He's an he's an issue. The attacks kind of just die with him and um Spurs best fullback wing back by far is Sergio Regulon. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. and and he was missing I thought he was missing from that that um League Cup game. And if they get him back this weekend like he's so crucial to their ball progression from that side of the field. And, and especially how much he's gets into the box, like another attacker, yeah. basically um, from, from Martinelli side. Yeah. You, you hit on it. Great. I, I should say a lot of this coincided with Alexander Lacazette coming back and being the full-time center yeah. forward for the yeah, team, yeah. because not because of, what he does from a traditional striker sense more in what he allows guys like Martinelli and Saka to do right where he yeah. where Lacazette comes deep and then it's Martinelli and Saka are making those runs in behind and it's all set up very well for those wide players to succeed right because they just they just need to be able to make the runs and and Saka and Martinelli are more than willing to do it so um, they've they've been huge beneficiaries of Lacazette coming in, and then just to give some some love to to Odegaard. Similarly, in that time since since Martinelli has started, he's got himself three goals, four assists, and averaging a little over two shot creating actions per game. Like he's pretty much the metronome in that area. Like he's ninth in the league in terms of chances created per ninety for opta stats but 
he has as we've talked about before like he's he's pretty much the the ozil of this team right he's ozil with with he is a number he's not on ozil's level of of we're not saying that yet right but talking about style of player and just how important they are to the team's attack he is what mezzo ozil was to um that like 2015 2016 arsenal team but you throw on top of that that he is willing to do the pressing far more than ozil ever would have wanted to mainly because he has kind of legs yes (laughs) but it's it's um that's kind of like the secret sauce of of what has made odegaard pretty much uh a nailed in starter for arsenal and not just that but but arguably their most important player um in during this stretch during this, and that stretch being the last like two to three weeks where or really a month honestly yep. um where they looked good enough to beat manchester city like that that's that's a huge step for them and and i, I think i think i'm gonna it sounds like your favorite I, uh, Arsenal on this if you had to it's pick. It's at White Hart Lane, which is the tough part. This. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I would favor Arsenal, I think, on, on form. And you don't the think they're not be... Forest uh, little blip today? <laughs> no, has no, no. The effects. What does concern me is Thomas Partey being out for these yeah. next few weeks and the possibility of Granite Xhaka. And a very young Sambi Lakonga starting this game. Um, that scares me a little. But uh, I, I think it's so tight. I think the game will be a draw, um, which is a cop-out. But I, I think on form, I, Arsenal will go into it in a better place than Spurs. So I agree. Nope, I fully agree. So... We'll see what happens in the North London Derby. I'm actually very excited to watch. I'm also very excited to watch City versus Chelsea next weekend. Um, hopefully in the snow. Not actually in England, but in New York. But with that, we'll wrap things up. At least one one last before before we get out of here. Yes, please. I just want to show some love to AFCON. It's like that was oh, one of the yes. things that was like refreshing in terms of the Premier League not going on. That's that was refreshing as well to get to watch that um watch the cameroon burkina faso game and as people saw my tweets the first half was just i mean what you would dream of for an afcon the first match of afcon 100 100 and i have to throw out if we're talking about afcon briefly um ethiopia my my home country or, or where my ancestry stems from um similarly put up a very afcon type performance against cape verde another team in that group losing one nil getting a red card in the first 20 minutes and going on of course to lose that game ethiopia is probably the worst team in this tournament and we will continue to likely get knocked out after the group stages so as you can see i'm thrilled about afcon smiles and thumbs up all around it'll be a fun one we'll try to keep our eye on it and from time to time give some some updates on it but uh definitely the a fun a fun fun tournament and uh if the first couple games were anything then it's gonna be <laughs> extremely extremely entertaining seriously seriously so we'll also keep you posted on any afcon 
updates that come uh, come our way and, and certainly take place throughout the week. But with that, we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you.